Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We had a great hour coming up. Dr. Everett Piper is going to be joining us in just a minute. And Dr. Tim Walsh will be joining the program as well. We're going to have lots to talk about uh, with Dr. Piper. He's written a number of great stories that appear in the Washington Times. You may know him as the former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And now he's a reporter, uh, a contributing uh, author for the Washington Times, among other things, as an author and speaker and everything else. So um, that is the plan for the hour. I'm looking forward to it. If you uh, have any questions or anything you would like addressed, uh, I know Everett's uh, got a lot of wisdom. So send me a text, 877-933-2484. We're going to talk a little bit about the loss of liberty that's been going on in our country as a result of COVID-19. We'll be right back. You can use today's amazing technology to grow in your faith. Faith Radio offers many ways for you to connect your faith to life every day. In addition to listening to the radio, you can also use the Faith Radio app on your mobile device or visit MyFaithRadio.com to listen to the live stream. If you'd rather listen to the program's podcast, those are also available on the Faith Radio app and at MyFaithRadio.com to hear anywhere or anytime you'd like. You can download the free Faith Radio app in iTunes or Google Play. Just search for Faith Radio. Also, if you have an Alexa or Amazon Echo device, you can listen to the live stream by saying, Enable Faith Radio and then play Faith Radio. It's also easy to share audio content and articles from MyFaithRadio.com. Just click on the Facebook or Twitter icon on the left side of the page to post a link to your feed. Put technology to good use and grow in your faith with Faith Radio. I'm glad to welcome back to the program Dr. Everett Piper, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He's a columnist for the Washington Times, an author of Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. Everett, welcome back. Bill, I hope you're doing well. Yeah, I am doing well. You sound terrific, too, by the way. Thank you for uh, doing the show. I'm really interested in hearing uh, your thoughts on uh, the article you wrote in the Washington Times about the loss of liberty that we could be facing in our country. Well, it, it, I think one of the key questions that we're dealing with right now, perhaps even more important than COVID-19 and the threat that a virus brings to our culture is the threat of virus shaming. And what do I mean by that? I'm basically suggesting that uh, we're actually at a point in time where if somebody speaks up and says, wait a second, I'd like to ask a few questions on what we're doing. Is it right for us to shut down the entire economy? Is it constitutional for us to tell businesses and churches how they should go about their daily functions? Is that the right way for us as a free people and a free culture and a free society to function? And unfortunately, when somebody asks that question right now, 
the response from many, including from many within the church, is to shame those folks and basically accuse them of wanting to kill grandma. Mm -hmm. And I think that's unfortunate. In fact, that smacks of ideological fascism rather than intellectual freedom. You don't make good decisions if you shut down the contrary view. You don't make the right choices, uh, whether it be government policy or whether it be business practice or whether it be the function of the church or whether it be the preaching of the gospel. You don't make good choices if you don't listen to those who want to ask good questions. And we need to stop this virus shaming, and we need to be open to a free and open expression uh, of ideas and a good debate. So, Everett, when you look at uh, what's been happening and what's evolving right now, what is your view? Uh, is it being handled well? Do you think that we're showing the right level of compassion and, and safety? And, or do you think it's a little over the top? Or where do you stand right now? Well, let me, be, let me set the context for my answer. Please. First of all, I believe that it is my responsibility— And I think the Bible clearly teaches me that as a Christian, I should always try my best to defer to the weaker brother, to the person who may have fear or confusion. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll use the passage out of 1 Corinthians when Paul says, if eating meat offends my brother, then I won't eat meat. Well, let's use the Piper paraphrase here. If uh, not social distancing offends my brother, then okay, I'll social distance. If not wearing a mask offends my brother, then I'll wear a mask. But that's a very different attitude and posture to take than for the government to intrude into the business of the church, into the business of my own home, and tell me how I have to behave. There's an issue of Christian charity versus government control. And I think we need to distinguish between the two. So to answer your question, are we handling it properly? Well, it probably depends. For example, handling it in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, where I live, is, I think, should be a very different answer to the question than how you handle it in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's—and how—here's one, one of my key concerns, Bill, and I could just go on, and uh, I need to discipline myself and take a breath here, but— when when I can go to the drive-in window at McDonald's and get a burger, without question, then why in the world can't I go to the drive-in church and read my Bible? Mm-hmm. The inconsistencies that we're entertaining right now as a culture are just stunning. And, and that is, in fact, the case. I can go to the drive-in window at any fast food place within a 15-minute drive of my house, and I can get food from a bunch of teenagers who are not wearing masks and don't, probably don't know anything about how to handle this thing responsibly. I can get a burger from them, but if I want to go to a drive-in church service and sit in my car with my windows rolled up on Easter, on Easter morning, I'm told that somehow I'm being unchristian, uncharitable, and unleavened to my neighbor and to my community. And I think that's just absurd. Yeah, I don't know how to put that together. I mean, you drive to a big parking lot and you're even not even close to the next car next to you and you're listening to a sermon uh, on your radio in a live event. I don't know how that's putting anyone at risk. Well, you're not, and it's inconsistent. And we all, I assume, almost everybody listening right now has experienced some of that inconsistency. And you've raised an eyebrow, and you've said, you thought, what, what's going on? And here's what I—now let's bring it back to the church conversation rather than the conversation with the broader secular culture. 
I don't think I should be virus-shamed by the church and have people say to me, well, wait a second, Romans 13 calls for you to obey the government. First Peter calls for you to submit to the government. What right do you have as a Christian to defy the government directive? Whoa, 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 whoa. That is totally out of context. That's cherry-picking your verses. That is proof-texting at its worst, because if you apply that in the extreme that you're suggesting, then the whole story of Exodus wouldn't be in the Bible, because it's about defying authoritarian government. Paul wouldn't have been in jail as often as he was if he hadn't stepped in the fa- step, stepped in, into the way of government and said, no, I'm going to do this. Every apostle, with exception of John, died a martyr's death because they defied the government. What about the story of Samson and Jephthah and Deborah? The list goes on and on. What about the three martyrs during the uh, medieval era, Latimer, Ridley, and Cranmer? Were they wrong for defying the government? What about our founding fathers who stood in the face of King George and said, no, you are compromising our dignity because you're taking away our freedom? Are all of those decisions wrong biblically? And I would suggest, no, they're not wrong. You've got to look at the overall arc of the biblical narrative if you're going to start applying these verses. So the fact that it's difficult to even have a dialogue with people uh, shows that we've got a a fundamental problem. No question. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a parallel with my book, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth, where I confronted my industry, the ivory tower, higher education for shaming the opposing view into sh- into silence, that it was ideological fascism rather than academic freedom, because if Ben Shapiro or Dennis Prager or anybody else wants to come onto a college campus and express their views, they are being shouted down and they're being sequestered in silence. They're declared verboten. They're unwelcome on those campuses. And that's antithetical to a liberal arts education and to a liberal, a classically liberal society, a meaning a liberal society used to be known as a society that stood for liberty. And ironically, that academic discussion or that act academic posture of shaming people into silence is now left the ivory tower and it's now right in your the parking lot of your church because you're being silenced if you want to raise your hand and say, is there a better way? Mm. Everett, an MD said, uh, no offense, but testing is is kind of ir- irrelevant. If, if you are symptomatic, you'll be treated. And if not, then you should be social distancing. The test has uh, no impact, impact on course of treatment. And yet people are crying out for uh, more tests, more tests. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it, well it, I, I, um, I, I'm not a medical doctor, so I need to be humble, hopefully, <laughs> in responding. I, 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 if it's a medical issue and if it's um, a statistical issue, I like to defer to people who know more about the stats, about the trends, and about the science than I do. But I do have the ability to think, and I do have a logical mind. So I, I agree with the person's question. Um, it, I don't know. I, I've had a I've had a chest cold for the last couple of weeks. Is it allergy season or? Am I symptomatic? I don't know. So I am out of deference to other people. I'm staying an arm's distance away from them when I go to the store. When I walk into the nursery to buy my uh, plants for the landscaping I'm doing right now, the first thing I do when I walk in is I look at the elderly lady who owns the store, and I said to her as I stood away from her by about six to eight feet, do you want me to wear a mask? 
And if she would have said yes, I would have put one on. Mm -hmm. If she would have said no shirt, no shoes, no service, then she had every right as a private business owner to put that sign on her door and tell me, don't come in here until you dress this way. And she has every right as a private business owner to tell me to put on a mask. Mm -hmm. She told me she didn't care, and therefore I didn't. So I just think some common sense in terms of the social distancing and being polite around those that may have concerns is the right thing to do. I like what the governor of South Dakota has done. She basically has said, we recommend all of this. Wear a mask, social distance, be careful, be courteous, be polite, act like adults, we trust you. I like that posture. I think that is a posture of constitutional freedom as opposed to uh, the despotism uh, of this Orwellian Huxley-like attitude of, we're going to tell you what to do. Yeah. Wow. Dr. Everett Piper is my guest. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with lots more. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Everett Piper is my guest. Um, Rebecca and I, my producer was talking during the break, Everett, and she said, is it our job to make people safe? Good question. Well, you're, it's a great, uh, you're, you're throwing me a great big softball pitch there. <laughs> no, um, I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, how do I, my about, article that we're referring Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I hate when I interrupt. No, I, no. Well, likewise, um, you're the you're the boss here. You're the host, so I'll answer your question. Safety is it our job to be, uh, make people safe? Uh, there's an old axiom, very simple little poetic axiom. It says a ship in the harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are for. Mm-hmm. Um, let's think of the former Soviet Union. Citizens of the former Soviet Union, the USSR, may have been safe, but they were not free. Was that society the kind of society we want? Did it grant the full dignity and rights to those people that are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei? Or did it dumb down the definition of what it meant to be a human being? I was once, uh, last week, I was listening to a a blog or a, um, a webinar by Michael Ramsden of Oxford uh, Center for Christian Apologetics. And he used this analogy in answering your question. He said, I believe that one of the greatest threats in the 21st century to the human being is artificial intelligence. How so? Let's assume that we invent robots, AI robots, artificial intelligent robots, and we program them that their one function is to protect human beings, to keep human beings safe, healthy, free from disease and free from disaster. Now let's suppose that those robots, because of the way they've been programmed, figure out that the best way to keep all human beings safe, healthy, free from disease, and free from disaster is to put all of us in 10-foot by 10-foot cubicles underground so that we have no exposure to anyone else, any viruses, any disaster, or any potential of getting sick. Let's suppose that they figure out how to feed us intravenously and keep us alive for, let's say, 80, 85 years on average. Are we safe? Yes. Are we healthy physically? Yes. Are we free from any disasters? Yes. 
But is that what we want? Is that what human existence, is that what the human being was created for? The answer, I hope we all uh, agree, is no. So we can take this safety issue to the extreme. And it's almost as if we've taken Patrick Henry's uh, phrase, uh, give me liberty or give me death. And we flipped it on its head and we've said now, I fear death, so take, me, take my liberty. Just keep me safe. Hmm. That is so interesting. And here's here's another. Um, in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, when the children are first exposed to the idea of Aslan, they don't know who he is, and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver tell them that the word is out. The rumor is that Aslan is on the loose. And the children ask, well, who is Aslan? Well, he's the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea. And they and in um, ang- with some anxiety, the children look at Mr. Beaver and they say, "Well, is he safe?" And Mr. Beaver responds, "Well, of course he's not safe, but he's good." Mm-hmm. So the question is, in our relationship with Christ, when we are part of the body of Christ, should we expect goodness or safety? And I would argue it's the first that we are to be good. And we are to expect that, but we're not supposed to expect safety. That's really, uh, really good, uh, Everett. And every time I bring up the subject, I always kind of expect to get response and letters from and text from listeners. I know it's an emotional topic. Um, when I hear that it's maybe a good idea to keep the country shut down until there's a vaccine. Well, don't, don't we have a vaccine for the flu? Yeah, and and the inconsistent reaction to this particular disease versus the annual flu. And somebody's going to say, "Well, he doesn't understand that COVID nineteen is so much more severe than the flu." I'm and not I don't disputing understand. that. Oh no, and I don't understand. the The point is, we cannot live in a perfect world because the world is broken because of original sin. There will always be a virus. Call it COVID-19, call it COVID-20, call it COVID-21. There will always be a virus. There will always be disease. There will always be disaster. We cannot live in a perfect world. And if we're looking to close down the entire world's economy until we can cleanse the world of COVID-19, that is a foolish Uh, That's a foolish goal. That's a fool's errand because it will not happen. We need to function as responsible human beings within a broken world. Uh, So well said, and you're right. Um, When I think of uh, caring for people, obviously we want to be incredibly compassionate. We want to uh, be protecting the vulnerable, but we also need the the vulnerable to take responsibility for what they need to do to protect themselves. Fair? Yes. Uh, I think Candace Owens said this week, she said, my freedom um, does not stop um, at, the, at the point of your fear. In other words, we've got this tension. We, we have this tension that's taking place right now. Are we going to allow fear to squash freedom? Are we going to allow safety to trump liberty? What is our highest good? Let's go back to freshman level philosophy. It was called the summum bonum, your highest good that you hold as a human being. What is that? Is it safety? Is it liberty? Is it freedom? What is our highest good? 
And if we are going to supplant freedom because we want to be safe, I would argue we are diminishing the dignity and the very identity of what it means to be a human being, the Imago Dei. Because safety could be had if we're all just put in our little cubicles and kept away from each other for perpetuity. Is that what we really believe is healthiest for culture? And oh, by the way, yeah, we may be holding off the disease for a while, but in the meantime, what about the substance abuse? What about the child abuse? What about the poverty? What about the malnutrition that comes about by putting millions, tens of millions of people out of work with no sustenance and no means of gainful employment? What about all of the negatives associated with that? Is it worth it? Is that, it's as if you've heard it said a hundred times, is the cure worse than the disease? Well, it's almost like we've decided to shoot you in the head in order to cure your cancer. Yeah, cancer's dead, but so are you. Is that really where we want to go as a culture? Yeah, that's a very good point. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm certainly getting a little weary from th- some of the expressions I've heard. You know, everything is... is um, Things I'm hearing things like, you know, we're living in these uncertain times. And I think, well, yeah, hasn't that been my whole life? Uncertain times? <laughs> you know, when have we been living in certain times? Unfortunately, the culture that we have enjoyed for the last, oh, let's just say 20, 30 years, is a culture that generally, anybody who's under 30 years of age hasn't experienced war they haven't experienced a draft. That's true. They haven't, exper- they haven't experienced much financial anxiety. Oh, you could say back in 2008 they had that. But yet we still are out buying our $4 cups of coffee and we're enjoying all of the uh, benefits that have come with living fat and sassy in the United States. You know, your dad probably told you this. Your coach may have told you this. No pain, no gain. Well, we haven't experienced much pain as a culture and as a society and as a nation recently. And therefore, I'm not too sure if we've actually refined ourselves by fire and we've actually learned and matured and fashioned and hardened our bodies, our minds, and our souls to deal with adversity. Um, I'm going to take, I've said it on your show before, I'm going to take Rahm Emanuel's advice. Now, I don't agree with Barack Obama and Rahm Emanuel on much of anything. But when Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good crisis go to waste, it was very shrewd and he was being very wise. Now, the left uses that to push their political agenda upon us. Take advantage of the crisis while people have their guard down and they're afraid and they're panicking and push your agenda. Well, we as the body of Christ should have the same attitude, quite frankly. Don't let this crisis go to waste. Show the world that the gospel is the answer. Show the world that we are not going to run away from this storm. We're going to run into the storm. We're going to be bold. We're going to be confident. We're going to have courage because we stand with the church and Jesus himself has promised us the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. It is our opportunity to be a voice like Spurgeon during the cholera epidemic of the late 1800s in London and run into the disease rather than away from it and show people the body of Christ and what it means. Yeah, fantastic. Ever, Ever, thank you so much for doing the show. Look forward to our next time. We can chat. All right, blessings. Thank you so much, Dr. Everett. Piper's been my guest. I always enjoy talking to Everett. I learned so much. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Tim Walsh will be joining us. 
Welcome back. So nice to have Dr. Tim Walsh as my guest. He is the Vice President of Long-Term Recovery and Mental Health Services at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. I call Tim my friend. Tim, welcome. Well, thank you, Bill. I call you my friend. Nice. I like that. We're off on the right, we're starting off on the right foot. So um, we're all kind of hibernating and quarantining, and I suppose if you have a tendency to self-medicate, that could be a very dangerous time. It, it is. In fact, our clients and our staff are really concerned about people who are struggling with addiction and mental health issues right now because they are isolating, and they may not be connected well enough uh, to people to get the help that they need right now. And, in fact, what we're worried about, Bill, is that people may be more afraid of the virus than they are of their addiction and not get the help that they need right now. Wow. Let's talk about some mental health issues, because if you are struggling with mental health and you are now, you know, confined to your house, um, what do you do? How do you how do you navigate through that? Right. So so the first thing is we, we have to be really creative right now about how we stay connected with other people. Mm-hmm. And so people are using people are using all kinds of social media platforms to do that. People are uh, Facebook using Facebook. They're using Zoom. They're using all kinds of ways to stay connected. So that's the first thing. And then also uh, you have church services right now, Bill, as you know church services that are offering uh, essentially teleconferencing. Right. You, can, you, can, you can get on a web uh, church service, and that can help you with that. But let's say that your anxiety is persisting and that you have really put off maybe perhaps being on medications if you needed that. Uh, there is now telehealth services that can help you get the medications you need if that's necessary. And so that's another possibility. And then if somebody's struggling with mental health and maybe substance use disorder issues, uh, you can also use telehealth and get a connection and get an assessment. And they will, they will then make recommendations to you about the level of care that you need. And I just want to be sure that people know that uh, we're open at Teen Challenge. Uh, you can get a hold of us at mntc.org. And at mntc.org, you get on the Get Help Now button, and it's going to walk you through the whole process of getting the assessment and then moving along and getting the services you need. We are providing telehealth services uh, right now, but if you need a a greater level of care, uh, you can come into our residential programs, and then we have longer-term care for those who need it. Mm. You know, let's talk a little bit about Romans chapter 5, because there's a great passage that's... uh, talks about how we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Certainly hope is something that uh, we want more than ever right now. Exactly, exactly. Bill, you know, I just let me give you an interesting uh, uh, note about what's been going on with our clients during this time. You'd expect, of course, that they're doing really poorly, right? Uh, because they're they're getting isolated and and this is a really tough time and so on. Actually, not true. Uh, our clients are doing very well, and and the reason that they're doing very well is is they actually focusing on this verse and they know in their lives. And this is a really interesting perspective. They know in their lives that uh, this, this pandemic actually doesn't even rate in the top 10 of the suffering they've been through. And so our, our clients in that way have this reservoir of strength that they t- can tap into if we can help them to tap into that at this time. 
And they know, they know that that suffering has helped them to develop this grittiness or this endurance, what the Bible calls perseverance. And they also know that they, if they've done it before, if they've worked through even harder challenges in their life before, they can do it again. Well, that's character. That's virtue. That's strength. And what does the Bible say? If you have that character, that's what produces hope. And what's interesting about the psychology of that, Bill, is why is that? Why does that produce hope? Well, character is you've been through it many times before. You have endured many times before. You've been successful many times before. God's promises have been sure uh, again and again and again. So, of course, you have hope for the future because your faith has worked in the past. That's beautiful. And it's interesting when you talk about uh, an addict's life and the journey they've been on, that some of their own personal experiences uh, are way worse than what's going on right now. Yeah, that's right. And I, I don't I don't mean to any way minimize uh, the anxiety challenges people are experiencing. I know you're right? not. Yes. No, in no way am I minimizing that, but I am encouraging people that they, they almost certainly have a reservoir of strength that they haven't tapped into yet. And why? Because they have been through so much in their life already, and you can remind yourself of that. And, and the Lord has produced this inner strength, this virtue of character within you. And if the Lord has been there for you, and you've gone through this before, and you've gone through it before in a way where he has delivered you, well, he's going to do it again. He's, he's going to do it again. So your hope is sure for the future. So that's, that's really, I think that's, uh, my clients have been just a tremendous witness to the world about the strength that they're having right now. I love that expression, Tim, reservoir of strength. Uh, I think every listener right now would be encouraged to hear uh, that they've got a reservoir that maybe they're um, not tapping into entirely. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. Exactly. And, and so it's all about putting in perspective. So one perspective, uh, again, I'm just, I just keep need to, I need to hold up my clients as incredible witnesses right now, is they see this current situation as their personal mission. They're on a personal mission of compassion. They're actually seeing this as a moment of sacrifice in the sense that they do not want to risk, if they, if they were positive for some reason with the virus, they don't want to infect other people. And so they're not so much worried about themselves. What they're concerned about is they don't want people who are more, more, more vulnerable than they are to catch this. So they see that their sacrifices are worth it right now, all the sacrifices that they have to endure at being in the setting that they're in, that that's worth it because they're preventing the spread to people who are not going to do well if they get the virus. And it sounds too, Tim, like they're taking their focus off themselves and maybe for the first time in a while. They, they are. Again, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a personal mission for them. I'm not saying they don't have their, their concerns and they don't have certain stresses and anxieties during this time, but it's just amazing. Let me give you a few stories uh, right. real quick, Bill. Oh, mine. So one story is we have this one gentleman, and he's actually done some serious time. If you, if you saw him at first, you, you might even be frightened of him because he's so big and so imposing. But actually, he is the gentlest person because he's been transformed by the Spirit of God. You know what this guy does every day? What? Every single day, numerous times a day, he wipes down uh, with this bleach mix every common surface within our facility. Wow. It's it's just amazing. He actually brought, he brings tear to my eye. Every time I see him, he's wiping down all these common surfaces, including the knobs on my doors, so that we won't catch the virus. He does that every single day. And then another story of that, that reservoir of strength that we're talking about, uh, we had our clients and we asked them, what do you want to do as a project for Spiritual Emphasis Week, which we had a week ago? 
And they said, we want to make cotton masks for people who don't have them. So they have been making these masks for uh, the clients, for the staff, and then we actually have an excess right now, and we're giving some away. That's how busy uh, they and others have been. And, wow, just to focus on in that way that they're going to do something that's going to do other people uh, some real good in this situation. Tim, I never get tired of the stories where out of difficult circumstances comes, uh, you know, great things where they're doing things to uh, help their own recovery and also just to be honoring God and loving and caring for others. So the stories I just love hearing about. Amen, amen. And, and how to overcome the, 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 that real that temporary anxiety and stress. I, and, and again, not to minimize, you know, this. we know that the virus is contagious. We're all becoming amateur epidemiologists, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, so we, we know we're not quite sure how people get it, although we have a pretty good idea. We know there's no vaccine yet. There's no proven cures, although there's some promising cures. We know that it can be really serious. And, of course, it can have the ultimate outcome of death. But, so that's, that's, that's where your mind can go, and that's where our minds uh, often do go. But what we've been doing, Bill, is we've been praying over, and even some people singing over, Psalm 91 with our clients. And, of course, the whole emphasis of that is how we hide in the Lord. He's our ref- refuge, our fortress, our cover, our shelter, our dwelling, our shield. And it says even specifically, this is what Pastor Rich uh, has been praying over people, you will not fear the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor plague that destroys at midday. And the whole psalm doesn't begin with deliverance, but it does end with deliverance. So that's how you can shift your mind through the meditation on the truth of the Lord. And, of course, the Lord is true. The Lord is the faithful one, and he is going to follow through, and we trust in him. And, and it's possible we might get the virus, but, it, you know, if we we're praying Psalm 91, he's going to deliver us. He is going to deliver us. That is his promise, and that's what we've been relying on. And, 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 I, and, that's, and that has been uh, uh, on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. We've been praying that. We've been singing that. Uh, with our clients and with our staff, and they and they do trust in the Lord in that way. That's fantastic, Tim. You know, I've heard, and of course, I know this to be pretty true. Twenty-one days is is kind of what you need to begin a new habit. Now, oh, during this right. during this time, we seem to have a lot of opportunity because we have way fewer distractions uh, ah. to start a new habit. So maybe you could uh, speak to what it takes to uh, get yourself out of a routine and into a new routine that's going to be a healthier one. Well, isn't that interesting? Because we're all, we're all learning habits like don't touch your face. You know? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> don't touch your face. And, and, uh, and, and, of course, have a mask on if you need it and, and wipe down common services and all that. We're all learning new habits, aren't we? And, 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 and why? Why are we learning those, those new habits? It's, it's, it's something that we are being mindful of moment by moment by moment. And by being mindful of that moment by moment by moment, we actually start to train ourselves to start new behaviors. And of course, isn't that what faith is all about too? Faith is, is actually every single day proving, making it real, substantiating, as the Bible would say, uh, the promises of God. So if you act on the truth, if you act on good science, if you act on the Word of God, if you act on the promises of God, and you test it out and experiment it with it on a daily basis, and then you reinforce that and you say, oh my goodness, this is actually working. I'm having really good benefits to my body, to my brain. If you prove it every single day and you make it real, and you see, the, as the Bible calls it, the, the whole fruits of the Spirit in your life as a result, well, what does that tell you? That tells you on a daily basis, which is what we need on a daily basis, it tells you that if my faith works today and good science works today and good common sense works today, 
then my hope is sure for tomorrow. And so then what does that do? Then that makes it more likely you're going to try it again the next day and the next day. And then and as the Bible says in the first Romans 5, 4 that we we're talking about, that perseverance, that endurance, that grit will then become an inner strength, which is also called virtue or your character. They're habits of your thoughts, of your behavior, of how you interact in your relationships. That all becomes a part of your character. It becomes part of your values, your beliefs, uh, your goals, your dreams, your visions. It becomes all a part of your character. And what does that suggest then? That means it becomes a part of you over time. So the Bible is right on with uh, the best research in psychology about how this actually works. Mm. Wonderful. Dr. Tim Walsh is my guest. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with lots more. We're back with Dr. Tim Walsh. He is the Vice President of Long-Term Recovery and Mental Health Services at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. Tim, I'd love for you to, you know, just before break, we were talking about developing new habits. Talk about the power of the baby step. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, so um, when we, we, so let me put it in this frame, if you don't mind, Bill. Uh, So when we act upon our belief or our faith that something will work, if we, if we take that baby step, what starts to happen is we develop this uh, inertia of our motivation. We start moving in the right direction. You know, you think about Abraham and, and all God said to him was go, right? If right. You, you got you to start moving in the right direction. And what's fascinating about taking action is when you start to take action in the right direction towards your goals, you will notice almost always that your, that your anxiety decreases and your depression lifts just by moving in the direction of your goals, hmm. just by moving in the direction of your goals. So that is, so of course, right now we want to take care of ourselves. That's our goal. And so it's, so we start moving in that direction by, uh, you know, eating well and, and resting well and all that kind of thing. When you start acting on what you know to be true and you know to be good for yourself, you will immediately see your mood lift. Well, how, why did God design positive emotions that way? When you start increasing the positive emotions, that acts as an immediate reinforcer to your action. And so it makes you want to do it again. You know, so for instance, Bill, I know you're you're avid uh, in in terms of your exercise regimen. You stay in good shape and so on. Well, you know that's not always pleasant, but you always get a huge payoff for doing what you're doing, and it's that payoff that keeps on keeps you coming back for more. And so it, it's getting that that inertia, that motivation moving in the right direction, getting the immediate reinforcement of seeing some progress or getting something done, uh, and then the positive emotions, and then the positive emotion then fuels you to keep going and to keep doing that. Uh, so that's, that's, that's the whole idea of taking this, the next step and the next step and the next step. Mm-hmm. I sometimes say, you know, I don't f- feel like working out. Maybe I don't want to work out, but at the end of the day, I want to have worked out. Yeah, so exactly. I can talk myself yeah. into when I put my head on the pillow at night, what do I want to have done? And does right. uh, an exercise, a workout, does that... Is that going to be included in the things that I'm going to say I got done today? Um, yes. So you have to. You always have to just kind of 
be speaking truth to yourself. And I think your point's so well taken, Tim, that God designed our bodies to move, to rest, to sleep, to eat well, uh, and to exercise. And yeah. we're not trying to be oversimplistic, but that's that's kind of the key. It is. It's 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 huge. And of course, we have a great way. You know, the Bible says the mind. You know, the, that our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? So our mind can convince us to do anything. Almost right. <laughs> it, can, it can convince us to eat bonbons all day. All day in bed. Uh, and so what you, what you do is you, you know, on principle, on principle, you know, you have a conviction that I should be working out today. And so you get your body moving in the direction of getting your clothes on, getting set up for the workout. You, you actually don't even let your mind convince you you're, uh, otherwise. And if any thought comes up that maybe I don't want to do this, then you remind yourself not, oh, how hard it's going to be to work out. You don't remind yourself of that. You think you think about how good will I feel when I'm done with this workout? And then you realize, I'm going to feel great. My, my metabolism is going to go up. Actually, all these positive, uh, happy chemicals in my body are going to increase. I'm going to feel good about myself that I did this today to stay into shape. And then you remind yourself uh, what's going to be. Now, uh, the, the most extreme example I can think of that is the Bible says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. And you go, what was the joy set before him? What was the joy set before him? And then I started thinking, and I said this to the women out loud the other day when I was giving a sermon, and I said, what was the joy set before him? And, and it just, through, I think it was through the Spirit of God, Bill, that he said to me, it's them. Yeah. It's, and so I, started, so I started saying, I said, the joy set before for Christ was you, and you, and you. And I started going around the room, and they started crying, and I started crying. Well, what is that? The joy set before him helped Christ to endure an agony that no one could possibly imagine. Well, what is the joy that's set before us? There's always a joy that's set before us, and that's why we endure. That's why we endure. Oh, that's such a powerful comment, Tim. I'm going to think about that for a long, long time. The joy that was set before him. Amen. Yeah, that's right. That was powerful. I really, really yeah. like that. But there, as people are, uh, you know, maybe suffering from some low-level depression that they're having a hard time even recognizing because they have excuses. You know, there's nothing to do. I feel flat. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling broke. Um, and there's a heaviness that comes on. So simple baby step activities can move the needle, can it? That's right. That's right. And so, and so what starts to happen in our brain is we start saying, well, if I don't do this, like take a, you know, a half-hour walk, or if I don't get aerobic, or if I don't do three sets of weights this week, then it's not good enough. No. And what, like what my wife and I say is any, it, it all counts and it's all good. So anything, just get moving, start doing things. So, it's just, so just, just do it is the idea. So just do something and get going, and what you're going to find is it will build upon itself. You'll, do, you'll try something, and then you'll want to do a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. And the other thing for just for those people who are uh, struggling with more moderate to severe depression, of course, is we learn the skill that uh, your motivation should not dictate or your emotions should not dictate what you do because actually your emotions are telling you to do things that are going to be uh, uh, detrimental to your mental health. So your emotions are telling you at the moment, stay in bed. Of course, that's one of the worst things you can do. It's going to say it's, your emotions are going to tell you to be sedentary. Of course, that's one of the worst things you do. Uh, it's going to, your emotions are going to tell you to isolate. Well, that's one of the worst things that you can do. So, so you actually uh, do the opposite. You do the opposite of what, in that sense of what the, your emotions are, are telling you. And by doing that, that becomes a great guide for then restoring your health. 
Now, Tim, if you're going to have just a conversation with yourself when you're sitting on the couch feeling depressed and you, you would say, I just don't feel like budging from the couch tonight. The other side of you can say, really? Is that the best thing for you to do? Or should you get up, put on your tennis shoes and go for a walk around the block? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so we, we have, of course, according to the Bible and, of course, good psychology as well, uh, we have a conscience that is informing us all the time, usually what not to do, uh, but also can inform us about what to do. And then we have the Spirit of God that's speaking to us if we're listening. And then we have our own spirit that can actually, in a sense, uh, it, it's like a transcendent self. It stands above us. It speaks to us. And if we're listening, we're going to hear even our own spirit, our own soul speaking to us about what is going to be good and it's going to give us life. And if we could just listen and then follow that next step, what that next step is, uh, that we're being told to do. Or, of course, the other thing is you, you tap into your knowledge of the Word of God. And what does the Word of God says that's true and good and right? How do you tap into that? And then and then just act on that. You just act on it. You just do it. Uh, in treatment, we call, uh, there's a few principles. One's calling faking it, faking it to make it. In other words, what does it matter whether you feel like it or not? You know that it's true. You know that it's right. You know that it's good. So you just start moving in that direction. And another, another principle in therapy is you go through the motions. Well, you got to go through the motions of change before you realize that, no, this is actually a good thing for me and I have to do that. So those are things that can get you going in the right direction. Yeah, there's something powerful about your, your body doing certain movements, even if you don't feel like it. Or if you are trying to learn a new habit, Whatever it is that's awkward in the beginning, of course it's going to be awkward. You just have to kind of keep with it, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, what's interesting is when you go to that Romans uh, uh, 12 verse, what does it say? Uh, what is our acceptable, perfect uh, sacrifice? It's, it's making our body a living sacrifice, right? And so what does that mean? That means that we are going to commit our body to doing what we know is going to help our health, to help our relationship to God. We're going to commit it on a, on a daily basis, moment-by-moment basis, uh, essentially regardless of how we feel. What does feelings have to do with it in that sense? We know uh, what is good for our bodies, so that's why we do what we do, even if we're not feeling like it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Tim, this has uh, been pretty inspiring uh, report that you are you know, letting us know how uh, well the men and women in recovery are doing in this time, and they're seeing it as an opportunity to really get outside themselves and, and be of service. Um, are there any other service projects they're working on? Uh, well, every day, every day, what they start, what they think about is how do we keep uh, our entire? We have 12 facilities across the whole state. We have over, we have about 700 people living in those facilities. So every day, they're actually having to operate on brand new ways of living. They have to clean different. They have to wash uh, clothes different. They have to eat different. Uh, they have to get in line different. They have to wear masks every day. They have to take temperatures every day. Every single day, they're going through all of these disciplines. Mm-hmm. And why? And every every single time they're they're thinking, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And again, it's an act of compassion for other people. It's an act of sacrifice so that we are not a risk to other people. That's why we're doing it. And then they're also the faithfulness. They really do believe. They really do believe they're going to get through this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and, fantastic. And I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bill. No, that, I mean that's just fantastic. And the fact that they're doing making all these steps every day, it is showing them that they can. They can do things differently. That's right. They're convincing themselves that they can act differently. I think it's wonderful. 
And just think of that, Bill, all these little things. They seem to be little things, right? But all these little things, when you act on something that addresses your fear or anxiety, if you act on that, what happens to your fear and anxiety? It immediately goes down when you act on it, when you act in a way that makes you safe, that's going to help with the health of other people. When you act on that through this new discipline, that's what happens to that fear and anxiety. And so that, that helps them too, but that's not their motivation. You make a lot of sense, Tim, and you've shared a lot of wisdom. So thank you for doing both. Yeah, thanks, Bill. And hey, thank you to KTIS and you, Bill, for being a champion of reaching out to people who are having struggles with mental health and addiction right now. Thank you for doing that. Uh, thank you for saying that. I appreciate you. Dr. Tim Walsh has been my guest. Um, he is the uh, vice president over at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenges of Long-Term Recovery and Mental Health Services. You can always go over to... Um, uh, mntc.org to learn more about the wonderful work they do. Tim, have a great night, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Phil. Really appreciate it. Yep, you bet. That wraps up our show for the day. Say, if you are uh, still looking for something to do on Thursday night, you can check out our live stream event. It starts at 7 o'clock Central Standard Time. I will host it. Dr. Jim uh, Bilby and Dr. Peter Kapsner will be my esteemed guests. We're going to have a lot of fun. So uh, bring your questions, your concerns, And just hang out with us. It's going to be a great hour. This coming uh, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, you can go to MyFaithRadio.com and get more information on it. But all you have to do is just click on the live stream button and you'll be with us. It's easy, simple. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.